What's up, ladies and gentlemen? Welcome to this week's episode of Armchair Producers, episode 143, colon, idle hands. I am one of your hosts, George Jones, with green hair today. Um, and I am joined, as ever, by the man, the myth, the tale told across galaxies. Mr. Travis Croft, how are you, sir? I'm fine and dandy. Um, it was May the 4th yesterday, so yes. we're a little late. We would normally have recorded on May the 4th. We would, but... yeah. But you were lucky enough to be gifted a ticket to mm-hmm. uh, see the new Marvel film, which yes. we unfortunately cannot discuss this no. week because no one was giving me three tickets to things. Um, oh, I already had. Talents, t- I'm the management. I had tickets to see it next week, unfortunately, because mm. uh, we waited too long and we couldn't get in to see it at any of the uh, non shithouse cinemas. Mm. Um, but yeah, the ones that are anywhere near me. So we will be back with Doctor Strange. I ain't trying to try my damnedest to stay spoiler three, but I don't like my chances. If you have watched any of the trailers, they do a pretty good job of spoiling a lot of the reveals themselves. That's a damn shame. Yeah, it's it's a they've they've become their own worst enemy in many ways. But anyway, yes. So yesterday was May the Fourth be with you, and. For those who don't know, I work in the geek culture industry. And yesterday at work, I was wishing everyone, may the fourth be with you. Most people had no idea what I was talking about. Really? Are these young yeah. people or old people buying things for young people? Young and old. It was like, okay, these are people who clearly should know about Star Wars at some point in their life. It's been a generational event now. And yet they were just like, what? Like, May the fourth be with you. It's like, yeah, it is all day. Like, what? <laughs> so wow, I, we shouldn't be allowed. You should get your gamers' privileges revoked at that yeah, point. You know, like, yeah, shouldn't you? Uh, I, I think it's a stupid thing, personally. Like, I, I was all over my social media yesterday, and I'm like, this is lame. Mm-hmm. Um, so That's it's a relatively serious. modern conceit. I reckon it's probably... I reckon it's been kicking around now for about 15, 16 years or something, really. I mean, I remember, I remember, um, and Shay will be able to remember this as we went, we, when she was living in Mooney Ponds, um, with my, um, with my ex wife, uh, we went to the local Coles late at night and mm. went through all of the, the Cocoa Pop boxes trying to find the right colored of uh, lightsaber spoon that they had in there as part of a May the 4th, um, promotion um we got it i wanted a red one damn it <laughs> i am judging you <laughs> um and we didn't buy all the cocoa pops we opened Ooh, you are the reason society is failing the way now. it is and they say society is falling apart now as that was david bowie it started in 2000 and <laughs> whatever that was the, the, the mooney ponds coals is the center of the uh the center of the universe if you know that when something goes wrong there, it just echoes it's out. The butterfly time. effect is just echoed out <laughs> from holes in Mooney Ponds to, you know, here we are today with Putin and Trump. Um, well, yeah, but clearly at that, at that point in time, you had idle hands. Indeed. Oh, it's a segue, ladies and gentlemen. I'm good at these now, ladies and gentlemen. Yeah, I'm putting effort in. Well, this week, our chain movie, we followed on from last week's cult classic shall we say of barbed wire with extraordinarily the, generous it is yes um but surprisingly when i was talking about it with people in the store they're like, oh i love that movie 
Yeah, you would. You would. You're the kind of person who would. Right. <laughs> um, yeah. Um, but um, we followed the talent of Jack Noseworthy from that movie into one of my guilty pleasure movies of Idle Hands, starring Devin Sawar and Jessica Rauber with Seth uh, Green and Eldon Hansen, who have all kind of gone on to make their own names in various portions of the Hollywood program, shall we say. Oh, so, it's very genetical. Dare it say that Darren Devin Sawa's gone on to anything other than being a has-been. He's got a strange cult following. Girls who liked him when they were young. It's like people who go to Backstreet Boys concerts now. <laughs> oh, incidentally, um, because of your comments about my blonde hair last week, mm-hmm. whilst I was having a second round of bleaching done pre-greening, I was in um, the shower where there was a Google Home set up and the delightful Siren Divine, who was doing my hair for me, put on a whole ton of all of that music. And <laughs> what, 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 what would that music be um, inclusive of? Uh, I used to think. Um, I'm hoping there was some NSYNC in there. There was definitely NSYNC. I think there was Backstreet Boys. And some. I think there might have been a little bit of Justin Bieber played as well. <laughs> all I can say is my work here is done. Yes, yes. You, can, yeah. <laughs> I, I, ha- I have got a tally board somewhere in the corners of my mind of the amount of times that you hurt me for no reason. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it was a good haircut and I was just calling it away. I was just saying what everyone else was thinking. That's all. Sure you were. Sure you were. Uh, but yes, but we it's, followed it's on. Less Justin, Justin Timberlake this week. And mm-hmm. um, you see, sorry to interrupt you. No, I was just going to say we followed on Jack Noseworthy, who is also in this movie with Vivica A. Fox. Um, and we are talking about Idle Hands, ladies and gentlemen. We might as well, we've talked about it, given them the, the taster of this. We should probably Ooh. move on and get into it. Yeah, let's go into uh, I've never notes. seen this film before. Hmm. Um, I must have missed this one in the late 90s. Um, uh-huh. I think I thought it looked stupid. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think it's fair to say, given the 21, 23 years have passed since then, I was correct. Yes, this film is, is stupid. Mm-hmm. Um, but that said, I am fairly certain that people who made it would be quite comfortable with me saying that they made a stupid film. Yes. Um, it's not attempting to be anything else other than a big, dumb, stupid Late 90s stoner film, really. I mean, this film kind of would yeah. be a precursor, I feel like, to things like Harold and Kumar. It, yeah, it's it's a it's an odd medley of kind of American Pie meets Evil Dead 2 by way of slight variation of Cheech and Chong, and then just kind of smushed together and so like, okay, there you go. And it kind of works. Yeah, it's and you got to add that sprinkling mm. of um, late nineties teen sex romp. I mean, yes. Um, if we think about the the, the time this film came out in nineteen ninety nine, we'd had two screen films by now. Um, yes. I think maybe yeah, at least two. At least one. The first one came out in ninety six. I don't remember when the sequel came out. What were we in about then? We mm. had, of course, the I know what you did last summer films mm-hmm. one and two. 
Yeah. I said about the second on a better. Mm-hmm. Um, we had The Faculty, when you have a Robert Rodriguez, you know, film. Um, it's a great, great movie. Um, the Species movies. Um, mm-hmm. So it was a good time for to, horror had sort of come back a little bit yeah. after yeah. taking a break there for a while. It was back in vogue in the late 90s. Um, and the other great trend of the late 90s film was the return of a teen sex romp, as we sort of hinted mm-hmm. at before. You had the you know, the American Pie films. Mm-hmm. Um, there were a whole bunch of other ones that I can't think of right now. She's all that. Yeah, it was clueless like, to a lesser extent. Yeah, strange, uh, so like teen, mildly sexified um, updates of Shakespeare plays, that sort of mm-hmm. era. But with tits, preferably. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, or at least more sexually explicit than, you know, yes. again, like then that kind of scene sex romp went away, mm-hmm. gone away again, really. I don't yeah. think they make them anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, but they were it, in for five minutes with the sort of the, the success of American Pie. And yeah. this, this film, as you sort of noticed, kind of a, you know, a, a Frankenstein's monster of all the hip trends that were going on um, in, in the late 90s. It, though, I guess... The one interesting angle was the stoner film. I don't know there being a whole lot of stoner films in the late 90s. So where that exactly, I mean, that's maybe almost, that's almost the Kevin Smith influence there, really. If you sort of mm. like, you know, but it would have been great if it had been a Jay and Silent Bob cameo in there somehow. That would have been amazing. <laughs> um, uh, I don't know. Kevin was a little bit too successful in the late 90s for that kind of shit. Um, and we have some great icons of the time in, in Devon Sava. Sava, Sa- Sawa, or Sava? Saw, Sawa. Sawa. Mm-hmm. I've never been exactly sure how to pronounce that. Um, and the Seth Green mm-hmm. and uh, Eldon Henson, a sort of Jessica Alba, you know, very, very young Jessica Alba, just at the start of her this, career, really. This would have probably been about the same time that she was doing, or just either starting or mid Dark Angel, if you remember that TV series. No, I do, the James Cameron one, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so even the cast screams 90s. Um, yeah. so, uh, 2000s, she started Dark Angel. So well, she just started, started this. after this. Yeah. Um, and, hmm. I would be lying if I said I actually liked it. <laughs> um, it was it was distracting. Mm. It's about the nicest thing I can say about it. I didn't hate it. I mean, you can certainly compare it to a film like Barb Wire from the week before, which was uh, low-budget titillation as well, mm-hmm. um, a different kind of titillation to this one. Mm-hmm. But I think this was significantly more successful than that. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Can you talk about the actual plot for a second? Because I think we skipped that this week. Yeah. So... Um... Anton Tobias, uh, Devin Sawar, he is a slacker, stoner, lazy-ass punk, essentially, who um, lusts after his neighbour, Molly, played by Jessica Alba, and he fi- they find out through him being really just out of touch with what's going on in the real world that there is a killer on the loose. And in the first kind of... 25 30 minutes of the movie we find out that it's him or at least part of him his um, becomes part of him he's not the one is he initially the killer or not i can't really tell but tiller Uh, he is he is i think it's he is the killer at least of the ones that happened in that town um his right hand gets possessed by the devil and it goes around killing people whilst he's asleep is the intonation and 
it becomes so desperate to kill that he starts acting out and doing the whole sort of like <laughs> kind of Bruce Campbell-esque fighting with his own body kind of thing with the notion of finding um, a apparently a, a, a chosen person to sacrifice to take straight to hell. Um, don't quite know why that is, but um, this possessed spirit, whether it is the spirit of the devil or just some demon or something like that, we don't know. But Vivica A. Fox, who's De uh, Debbie LeCure, is some kind of druidic priest who is on a, out on a mission to kill it and send it back to hell. And hijinks ensue. Um, you make a fair point there. Not a lot of the plot is actually explained terribly well at all. This is not a film that feels the need to go into great level of exposition about mm -hmm. why what's happening is happening and yeah. why people are doing what they're doing. It just, yeah. it just do what they do and what happens, happens. Yeah. And you know what? It's kind of refreshing and it kind of works. As I said, I yeah. wasn't a huge fan of this, but it gets in and it gets out. It does what it does in 90 minutes. Yeah. It's utterly unpretentious. You know, it's the, the anti for Batman. You know, <laughs> like it's half the length of the Batman. Yep. Uh, I'm not saying it's a film as good as the Batman. Which it's trying to be Batman. <laughs> I would like to get. The director, could we get Rodman Flender in to come in and maybe do a Batman film in under 90 minutes, preferably? Um, he's still kicking around. A movie in under 90 minutes would be fine. Um, you know, under, under two hours, I'd be happy with that. But, you know, yeah. um, <laughs> um, I, but I think if you're doing, if you're doing to do something long and ponderous like the Batman, I guess you, you need a little bit more room, runway to tell the story. Mm. But in something ridiculous like this, you don't want people asking questions. You yeah. don't want people sitting there thinking, uh, exactly does Vivica Fox want to kill him pretend this mm -hmm. thing how does she know what it is is she mm -hmm. actually the nun she's dressed up as mm -hmm. how does she know all this shit um where did this she get is, that camper van from yeah this is essentially a paint by numbers movie where they've just kind of gone okay we need um a clueless and uh, protagonist pop that in we need a cute neighbor pop that in we need two best friends let's make them stoners too and and every character is kind of a stereotype that you've seen a hundred times but they just it just kind of works it gets gets the story moving it keeps it going and everyone's generally serviceable in their role you're it just sort of goes and everybody's <laughs> just so I, I could go further than saying serviceable i'd say for the most part they are excellent at doing what they're doing in this role. I'm not saying that, you know, um, Seth and Eldon deserve the Academy Award nomination for this, <laughs> but if you want two guys to play, you know, clueless, mm. skeezy stoners, you could do a lot worse than those guys because they just yeah. did it really well. It's a bit like, you know, going back to Harold and Kumar. I mean, mm -hmm. those guys just did it, right? They did it so well. It, um, it's the thing about the chemistry of them. And, those, and, they, and they just... Yeah, I wouldn't. I mean, I don't know, but I assume they smoked a lot of weed when they were younger, and maybe they still do. Um, oh. You can usually tell when people are faking it, uh, or, <laughs> they, or they, at the very least, that they they don't understand, the, you know, how this kind of thing works. Um, where yeah. and, and Devin Sawa <laughs> is, he's just he's actually pretty decent at being a freaking clueless moron stoner. I mean, I I don't know. That's probably why he has no career beyond this, in the sense of like, you know. Uh, <laughs> What is the last thing you saw this? What is the last thing you saw this guy in? 
Um, the the last movie I saw him in, uh, yeah, it would have been the next year, Final Destination. <laughs> so 22 years ago, and he's still working, though, you know. Yeah. Um, and I'm just looking. He was in Slackers in 2000. I think I saw that at some point. Okay. Um, he was in the new series oh, of, of Chucky, which I did not see. Um, he was in The Fanatic. The, uh, the Isn't that Fred Durst's movie? Yeah, I think it was, actually. No, you're not talking about the, the, the De Niro, Wesley Snipes one. No, no, this one's the John That's Travolta That's the fan, one. right? Not the yeah, fanatic. Uh, yeah, um, yeah. Anyway, so <laughs> I think my point is made. I yeah. rest my case. Devin Sawa, <laughs> he's not got much of a career anymore. Um, but uh, I think in this, he's absolutely perfectly cast. Mm-hmm. And those three guys get along really well. They have great chemistry together. Mm-hmm. Seth and Eldon in particular have amazing chemistry. Mm-hmm. And get, I think they have a highlight of a film to the picture yeah. for me when they're on screen. Mm-hmm. Jessica Alba doesn't have a lot to do. She looks good. Mm-hmm. That's probably what she's really in this film for. Mm-hmm. Um, she plays a very decent love interest um, for for an- Anton. Mm. So that and the silliness of a plot, yeah, it just kind of just drive forward, and it's just kind of yeah. light and fluffy and fun for a for a teen horror sex comedy yeah. stoner flick thing. Um, <laughs> and you don't, you don't, it just moves like at such a cracking pace. Everybody's so likable. It's yeah. reasonably well written. It's funny, fun enough that you kind of like. I'm not going to sit here and think about why Vivica Fox is doing what she's doing. I'm not going to think about how the mm-hmm. hand does what it does. You know, like oh, how does it? What devil is this? You know, um, how does it transport from the guy in California to mm-hmm. Devin Sawa in his town? Like you don't think about all that kind of stuff because you're just going along for the ride while it's there, which yeah. is exactly what a film like this should do. So. Very now, competently I directed. To, I want to do a cool um, shout out to Christopher Hart, who plays The Hand. And he is possibly one of the most famous hand art, um, actors because he played Thing in the Out of His Family movies. And the 90s ones? The 90s ones, yes, with Raul Julia and um, Angelica Houston. And the... I'm really genuinely impressed with how they managed, how Devin Sawar managed to get the the fighting his own hand thing pretty good while the hand is attached. And it, like I like I said before, there is that element of Bruce Campbell beating himself up from Evil Dead in there, which I appreciate. And then at some point later on, he decides, I can't keep doing this anymore. And he just decides to cut his own hand off, <laughs> which to a certain point, there's a logic to it. It's, it's a stoner logic, but at the same time, that also causes their problems to increase. And they manage to just actually have this personality in the hand. And it's largely because of Christopher Hart's way that he was able to just really use his hand to crawl and the, the shit that he does, like using a pencil sharpener to sharpen the fingernails to points and things and little tiny bits like there's and a, a bit. it should be noted. It looks really good. Like I noted that actually in the, in the cast as well. And I, I just forgotten about that, but hmm. I, and throughout the whole film, I was sort of going the prosthetics in this, like the, the, the puppetry. The He's very good. The head as well look great. Well, that's good. But the, I thought the hand was a puppet while I was watching it. Surely mm. it must, like, but, okay, it's an actual actor. But mm. you can't tell. Mm. So for the late 90s, they assume they've 
computer CGI'd him. Yeah, CGI green screening, yeah. Uh green screen him out. But but it's really fucking good green screening out. Like it mm. you can't tell. It doesn't mm. look fake at all for I can't imagine this film had a massive budget. So yeah. Um, you know, you can see some pretty dodgy stuff like now you can look back and go, Oh well, you know, that looks pretty twenty five million dollar budget in the late nineties, it's not massive. Yeah. So props to props to whoever did their special effects. They were really good. Yeah. And you sort of notice you're going to go on, but the actual makeup and effects of a lot mm. of the characters looks fantastic. I mean, it's almost iconic for this film is that the bottle stuck in Seth Green's head. Yeah. And the fact that there's just little attention to detail. Like when he moves his head, you can hear liquid sloshing about in there still because there's a brain and it it didn't, the whole thing just sucked onto his head, you know? And and Eldon, I mean, Eldon Hansen eating a, burrito or a taco or something and just seeing that like is it blood or sauce i can't tell using out of his neck you know um it was super gross but you're like that's kind of funny but yeah um yeah it's you know what the more i talk about it, the more i go yeah the my initial reaction is like Meh. the more i talk about it, like this film was actually decent for what yeah. it was if you rate it on what it was trying to achieve, it was decent enough. It ended at the big school dance at the end, which every mm-hmm. American film needs to. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a little bit of carry in there, yeah, just, yeah. just for good um, good measure. Um, mm-hmm. I think it's um, it's a worthy entry in yeah. the uh, late '90s um, sort of uh, teen comedy. Um, it's a it's a refreshing change of pace because so many of them went like we said at the beginning there were there was a bit more of a of a slew of those teen horror movies that came out and a lot of them became very derivative of Scream or um, some of the monster movies that came out like uh, the first Jeepers Creepers movie was actually pretty good but then they just dove off a cliff and became trash. Um, this one has. This one was almost like a little bit Shaun of the Dead in a way where it's it's a bit of a, you know, the Shaun of the Dead posters and stuff said it's a romzom.com. And this kind of is a bit of a medley in that way. It's not as fine-tuned as Shaun of the Dead, but it's still got that same kind of spirit to it. It's like it knows exactly what it's trying to go for. And it's like, yeah, I'm just going to hit that, going to hit that, going to hit that. Don't need to explain lots. Of, uh, so we're going to keep the time down. Simple. And just to look at some of the writers involved here. So this film's written by Terry Hughes Burton. Mm. Um, and one of a person here, Rod Milbauer. Mm. Terry Hughes Burton. I mean, these people have gone on to some interesting work in later years. Terry mm. um, Hughes Burton here. Uh, most recently, he's working as a producer on stuff like Star Trek Discovery. Don't mention the war. But mm-hmm. also a writer of a number of episodes. Mm-hmm. Um, shows like The 100, mm-hmm. um, Quantum Break. Is yeah. that video game TV show crossover thing? I can't remember. Quantum um, Break? Yes. Yeah, that was a um, – yeah. Yeah, it was, was one of the video game that had yeah. the accompanying TV show thing in the yeah. game or something. Yeah. Didn't quite work, but it was an interesting idea. Um, yeah. So interesting stuff there for her. Um, mm. And the, the other writer here has gone on to some – Interesting work. Rod and Milbauer, amongst other things, has um, most recently worked on stuff like A Handmaid's Tale okay. um, as a producer. Um, and as a writer, he also worked on Quantum Break and um, Eureka and Supernatural. 
it looks like they've kept their writing team going because there's a lot of um, a lot of the same projects that they're working on. Um, you sort of go look at this and go this, from idle hands to the handmaid's tale. There's a very very long way. Yeah, that's a, that's an interesting one. I, I don't think there's there's yeah much crossover. The, the Venn diagram of those two movies is an interesting one. <laughs> Rod, Rodman Flender, which the director has a fantastic name. Mm-hmm. Rodman Flender mm-hmm. um, most recently directed on Becoming a God in Central Florida the um, uh, Dunst, um, Dunst TV show it apparently was quite well rated mm. um, so he's still kicking around and doing bits and pieces here and there mm. uh, he also worked on some episodes of The Office which obviously uh, was incredibly successful yeah Interesting, but okay. it was an interesting choice, and I appreciate you picking it because you could have gone like when you go when I go low, you go high. Um, <laughs> I'm just lulling you to into a full sense of security. security and one day yeah. you're gonna you're gonna lay up a movie that's just like, oh yep, it's all Oscar winners, it's all fantastic stuff, and I'm just gonna find the crappiest connection to the worst movie, and we will end up watching Cats. Oh, uh, well, you know, that could be fun too. Um, mm. You know, uh, I could take his places this week. I could take the Spy Kids 4, but I'm not going to do that. Um, <laughs> okay, yeah, so where are you taking us? That's I have question. gone, look, this is not necessarily going to be a popular choice, but I am going to go with something I've never seen before and I think will be a little bit relevant considering what's happening with this property today. So okay. we are going to go to, to follow Jessica Alba. In 2005, we're going to watch The Fantastic Four. Ooh. I have. Ooh. This is not the, the Josh Trank fantastic, fan fantastic, or whatever it was. The the, the one with um, fantastic, uh, the Rooney Mara or whatever it was in it. Um, yeah. the really disastrous one. I've seen that one. I've seen mm-hmm. the Roger Corman one mm-hmm. uh, from the nineties that they made to keep the rights. Mm-hmm. I have never seen this one. I and have. There's been, there two. There's, there's, two. There's, there's two of them. Um, and this one. It has a 5.7 audience rating, a 40 meta score. Mm-hmm. And the reason it's a little topical is there was um, news this week on the um, latest incarnation of this from uh, from Marvel himself, uh, the yeah, Spider-Man uh, director, uh, what's his John name? Watts. John Watts. Uh, stepped away from the, mm-hmm. the director's chair of mm-hmm. Fantastic Four, the next whatever the form of Fantastic Four will take for... Marvel, I believe it's going to be a film. Probably. That's probably um, what we're going to try to do. That would be logical. I don't think it's a TV show or anything for Disney+. Plus. Mm. Mm. So um, this is, you know, the first family of Marvel. And this was okay. um, early 2000s um, superhero filmmaking. And look, I, I think it's probably not very good. But mm. it could be interesting considering its heritage. Mm. And seeing that, you know... Obviously, Chris Evans, it was his first Marvel film, and mm-hmm. he went on to become a very, very successful star in Marvel films, just not yes. as Johnny Storm. Yeah, definitely, yeah. Um, it's it's an interesting choice of movie, and it is 100% of the time. It, it feels like an early 2000s movie in every sense, and um, I'm really interested to see what you think of it. It should be noted, this is three years, only three years before Iron Man. Yeah. Three yeah. years before the MCU started. Yeah. I wonder if the intention was for this to start the MCU. 
maybe, maybe. I mean, the the Fantastic Four, like my my mate Mike back in the UK. Shout out to Mike Russell. Love you, man. Um, he explained to me the one of the problems with this movie and the sequel, uh, Rise of the Silver Surfer, and it was the presentation of, as you said, Marvel's first family. The Fantastic Four, the icons, the, the crown jewel for many a year in the Marvel um, kingdom. It's that it should be an action adventure story in the lines of classic Lost in Space rather than an action um, superhero story. That's not what they are. They are largely, um, it's the, out of the four of them, there are two that are scientists. One who is a bit of a cocksure jock and one who's a rock man. <laughs> and um, they have never quite got that. He always said that it should be done in the vein of like um, Indiana Jones or something like that, where it's it's an adventure movie rather than an action movie. It'll be and... interesting to see if they choose that direction with whatever they choose to go with next, because the yes. last few times I've tried it, it really hasn't worked. Mm-hmm. Should be noted, by the way, Mm-hmm. If anyone was wondering, I think maybe there was an inkling, a twinkle in the eye mm. of MCU because this was executive produced by Kevin Feige. Oh, well, it came out just uh, the other day that he's already mapped out the next 10 years of MCU movies loosely in his head. And that unnerves me, frankly, um, because Marvel movies are very quickly becoming things where they don't actually know how to end their movies and they just are like, oh, tune in next month for the next fantastic episode of MCU. But I digress. Anyway, <laughs> next week we'll be talking about the 2005, this is the Jessica Alba version mm-hmm. of um, the Fantastic Four, um, just because I've never seen it and I think it might be interesting to mm-hmm. look at the uh, early days of what could have been. Yes, 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 yes. Should we talk yeah. a little bit more about Marvel while we're yeah, in the world of Marvel? Yeah, talk a little bit about... more about Marvel. Should we talk about Moon Knight? Let's. Okay. Um, so uh, those who tuned in last week, and if you didn't, why not? Uh, go and stand <laughs> in the corner, really. Um, <laughs> uh, I, because we had a bit of a break there, um, we talked a little about the first three episodes, I think, I'd watched mm. of mm. Moon Knight. And you said, I was pretty unimpressed um and you'd said that episode four had turned it around for you well it started to um so i thought i will give it the benefit of the doubt because a few people did the same thing and so lots of stuff out there how awesome episode four was Mm. and i thought well let's take a look Mm. and so i took a look Mm. and i'll pay it it does go in an interesting direction here so um i guess if you're not up to episode four skip ahead a few minutes mm. i suppose or mute us or whatever you want to do mm-hmm. um like it might be a bit tricky spoilers to kind of discuss it without going into spoilery spoiler warnings up you've been warned um the the fact that you know i was actually enjoying the episode better than the first three and i was really getting a very strong indiana jones vibe mm. all the way through it i was getting a massive raiders of a lost ark and Excuse me, I was wondering all the way through going, are they doing this deliberately? They must be doing this deliberately. Like, they must be giving me super, you know, mm-hmm. Indiana Jones. You can't do Indiana Jones vibes by accident. No. Mm-hmm. So they say, 
um sorry not raiders probably more last crusade obviously you know mm-hmm. the the yeah, the the, st- the um the tests in the um the temple you know the penitent man will pass and mm-hmm. god that yeah. film was good um yeah i really <laughs> hope i don't ever make a fourth one of those you know no, they don't need to it's a perfect trilogy that's perfect trilogy you know if you did a fourth film it would just ruin it you know it would just um it's too why old. would they hmm. yeah um <laughs> but uh we, we're probably 12 months away from another one of these, by the way, you know. Um, <coughs> no, please, no. <laughs> He's already dead. Um, <laughs> um, you know, the funny thing was that Harrison Ford looked way too old in 2008. Mm-hmm. And that was 14 years ago. Mm-hmm. And uh, Jesus Christ, how are they going to make this work? Um, I don't know. Sorry. Off topic. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> Uh, the, the, halfway through, you know, two thirds of the episode where where um, was it Mark? I guess at that point in time, Oscar Isaac gets shot mm. by um, Ethan Hawke, mm-hmm. and then he wakes up in the mental hospital, mm-hmm. and he's watching the uh, he's watching it. Or he wakes he wakes up via the he's sort of mental image of him appearing in what is quite obviously a parody of Indiana Jones. Um, which mm-hmm. is the VCR tape he's watching mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. in the mental hospital. And you're like... In Solomon's mind kind of thing. Yep. Yeah, but it was very obviously, you know, that was Raiders of a Lost Ark. Oh, yeah. Ark, right it there, was, you know. It was Indiana Jones and Short Round. Yeah, which is the wrong sidekick for mm. uh, that film. But, okay, I'll pay it. But <laughs> it was just there to evoke a feeling, and it did that effectively. Mm-hmm. Um, and he wakes up in a mental hospital, mm-hmm. and Ethan Hawke's the, the doctor, and you're like... Okay, I will pay it. I will pay mm-hmm. it. This is a very different direction mm-hmm. for a superhero show to take. And it's different from probably anything they've done, except maybe, I mean, WandaVision took some pretty left field choices, at least mm-hmm. in the first half of a series before it wimped out. Um, <laughs> yep. Uh, but I'm like, okay, that's interesting. But I'm not really sure I care enough at this point in time. I'm not really sure. I mean, like, yes, it's interesting. And yes, I'm like, I'm mildly curious to see what the fuck's happening. Mm-hmm. But I'm still a bit like, do you want to watch episode five? And I'm like, no, Disney, I'd rather not, actually. Um, <laughs> it's a bit like, it's. I just don't care about his characters. Mm. I don't care about Mark and Steven. I don't care about Lola. Is that her name? Um, the, the, the woman Lena? going around. Lily, Lolly. I can't really think of a name. Anyway, that's how interested I am in the story. Later. Um the only character I've said last week, the only character who's moderately interesting in this is Ethan Hawke. Mm-hmm. More Ethan Hawke. He needs his own that's a man who needs his own spin-off series, really. Mm-hmm. Um he's great in this. Mm-hmm. Um uh, he's a desperately underrated actor these days, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. Um but I just can't really find a motivation to go back and watch more of it, even if it's mildly interesting now, because I just don't care. Mm-hmm. And the Kanshu character is, I mean, he wasn't in this episode, you know, good. He just seems kind of ridiculous. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we have, and I think we talked a little about it last week. We've moved from the world of moderately grounded, the more grounded Marvel heroes into some pretty wackadoodle, mm-hmm. you know, cosmic. Cosmic. Mm-hmm. Cosmic's a good word. But mm-hmm. ones that seem a little bit more far out, right? Mm and it's... I mean, I'll, I'll pay this to Kevin Feige if he did this. In his, I assume I, you know, he's a very successful, successful man. I mm. assume he's done this deliberately. 
mm. um, in the sense that they they picked their more grounded characters first, and now they've gone. Well, we've got the runs on the board. Everybody loves us. Mm. The Marvel brand is untouchable. Mm. Now we can start to take some risks and really, I mean, you know, to lean into some of the more, you know, uh, out there characters that exist in their catalog. Mm. The problem with that stems into um, a lot of issues that I have with Doctor Strange, which I won't go into, I'm not going to spoil it or anything like that. But it's something that I've seen with the Eternals, with um, Moon Knight, with Doctor Strange, um, with WandaVision, and even Loki, where they're taking more risks per se in kind of like, oh yeah, we're going to introduce Egyptian gods are actually a thing that that is in this cosmos, uh, cosmos. and Thor, you've got in the in Thor 4, we're going to have the, um, Zeus and the Greek gods and things like that, and there's the Celestials and the um, you know, the, the primal gods, whatever um, ego was, and things like that, so like, okay, this is whew, that's, a, that's a lot and the problem is they're not actually doing anything really interesting with them it's like here is an here is a, a an interesting concept, um, like the idea in Moon Knight of avatars for the gods doing their will on Earth. It's like cool that puts the puts a barrier between gods interfering and not. But there isn't actually any reason why they do that. Like Konshu gets imprisoned because he uses his powers directly and because he doesn't just let the avatar do it it's like okay so what's the point of gods even existing if they're not going to do anything if they were to use something like in dungeons and dragons as an example where there's particularly in the critical role universe where they have a divine gate where it is incredibly rare for a god to be able to directly influence what happens on the plane of existence that the players and the characters all inhibit. It's all through prayer and deals and bargains it's through these avatars that they can have power. The divine gate stops their, the God's power from coming in, which would explain why they have avatars, but there doesn't seem to be any actual reason why they have avatars and they don't explain it. And fair point, they don't necessarily need to, but going into spoilers for the end of Moon Knight a little bit, you have gods literally fighting over Cairo. And it's like, okay, I don't care. And it's... Is there a sky beam? Um, there's lots of laser beams. Okay. Yeah. Um, non-surprising for a Marvel TV show. And... It's a, it's a bold choice. Particularly for this movie, I would, this TV series, it's a limited series. They're saying, yep, there's not going to be another series or anything like that. They have a little Easter egg of the character of Moon Knight continuing on and all of that stuff. But the end, I don't bloody care. You've lost, I've lost all interest and investment in these characters that you have given me. Um, no one is in a position where I'm interested in what happens next. And the gods fighting over Egypt, supposedly being big symbology about choice versus predestined evil and things like that. It's like, 
yeah, you're not presenting that well. It is an interesting concept. I'm not going to deny them that, but it's just not well presented. And that problem comes in in everything. Like you talk, talk about the finale of Loki where Kang is there just monologuing for a long time about the vitality and the importance of the sacred timeline and all of that stuff. It's like, yeah, that's all really interesting. But you've got a guy talking to me for 25 fucking minutes. No one is charismatic enough to talk for 25 minutes and keep me engaged every minute. The The way that they're actually telling these stories and rounding them off in a successful way is not good. They are so painfully getting to a point where their products aren't finishing at the end of the TV show or the end of the movie. It is, as I joked before, tune in for the next exciting episode of the MCU. And which might be by design. Yeah, you, you, know, you keep tuning in. You can do you, they were able to do it in the first first movies where they had just little seeds that they didn't go back to for ages, and they were able to feed the bigger story. And here they're being very brazen about it and forgetting to actually tell a cohesive, complete start to finish story about their hero. They're mm. forgetting that the hero is the is the hero's journey that we want to follow as as audiences, but everyone is getting more interested in the villains. And in classic Marvel way, the good villains end up dying. The bad villains end up just so they're, they're, they're all bad villains, aren't they, usually? Well, I mean, like, Killmonger was a cool, um, interesting character. And it's like, oh, yeah, we'll kill him. Um, Loki, cool character. We'll turn him into an anti-hero. They don't know what to do with their villains, and they don't know what to do with their heroes. They're I'll not maybe actually finished stories. I, I feel like DC are almost dealing with this problem a little better right now than, hmm. than Marvel in the sense. If you look at Peacemaker... I have a yeah. I have over here the the DC encyclopedia, and every mm. week he'd be like, you know, matter reading lad, oh he eats all matter, and you know every never week he'd be talking about this ridiculous character that exists in the DC canon. You look him up and go, oh my god, there really is a matter reading lad. That's canon, and you're like, mm -hmm. yeah, it, and it's just like, you know, James Gunn going, yeah, the comic books they're fucking ridiculous, yeah, um, and DC is sort of going, we're having a laugh with it, right? We're not mm -hmm. taking ourselves too seriously, whereas that might have been kind of their problem initially. I mean, that was maybe yeah. a problem with, you know, Batman versus Superman, Dawn of Justice. It was completely mm -hmm. humorless. Um, and now it's maybe we're seeing Marvel sort of going too far in that direction to become too big and too mm. successful, but they've almost forgotten, you know, where they got started in the sense that they mm. had a very deliberate, I mean, they just sort of, the quips, the quippiness almost needs to be, well, I'm sorry, I need you to dial up the quippiness on this script by 5%. It doesn't seem organic necessarily the way it did at the start, but uh, I don't know if that's necessarily my problem with this other than, well, I, I, I don't care about these characters the way I should um, to actually, you know, want to tune in week after week. And, mm -hmm. like, you hear about it, like, I don't care about the next Disney Plus series. They've kind of done it to death a little bit, really. I mean, we've got Miss Marvel, I think, is the next one. Uh, yeah, there's Miss Miss Marvel. Um, they they've confirmed that there's a Loki season two, but Moon Knight they said is a limited series. Falcon and Winter Soldier is a limited series. 
Um, I don't think they're going back for one division uh, season two. Are we get to be She Hulk at some point? Oh yeah, there's She Hulk. Um, Hawkeye was a limited series, so I don't I don't know what else is coming. But honestly, I don't really care because overall, just looking at the full seasons, none of them have been able to do one con- cohesive series that it was either started great and just declined or was very middling throughout. And it's like, okay, do better or don't do it. Look, we have a bit of a quick shout-out to Siren Divine for mm-hmm. her exceptional hair-dyeing skills. Um, and I believe there were some choice musical cuts played um, <laughs> to provide inspiration um, <laughs> while the, um, while the, the hair... Um, creation process was really mm-hmm. undergoing. So, if mm-hmm. you're listening to the podcast and you're not watching the live stream this week, you, over the last couple of weeks, you've really missed out because um, George was kind of doing his very best Justin Timberlake last week. Um, you, can, you can go back and watch us on twitch.tv slash the fried brain or youtube.com slash if you like. If you're just listening to the audio version of this, I'm sorry, you were missing out on some epic green hair this week that my co host is wearing. I mean, um, you you get a gig with the, the drama with uh, as um Blink uh, One Eight Two with that hair seriously it's good stuff. Um, <laughs> the nineties called um, and anyway um, props <laughs> to you um, Siren Divine. Uh, it's almost not quite not quite but almost um, worthy of forgiving you for that Thomas the Tank Engine atrocity <laughs> from a couple of weeks ago that. That that's I'm going to be having nightmares about that for a very long time to come. Um, yeah, I was talking to her the other day, and um, she just started singing the theme song, and it just—it's an earworm. It gets in there and just wriggles around, and just you can't help but uh, it's there. Then I was talking about Bloomhouse with um friend of a show, Patria, this week, um, because she apparently she didn't know who they were mm. and said she didn't think they're done until I showed her. So you've never seen Get Out? Oh, I don't know what that is. And then I showed it to her, and she's like, oh, of course, I saw that. So I had to explain what Bloomhouse did. And then I got me thinking, I still think that Thomas the Tank Engine Bloomhouse production, it would be that would be <laughs> worth going to the cinema to see. Um, we've gone a little bit away from Marvel here, but yes. while we're talking Disney+, Plus, have you seen, and it was, it was May the 4th, as we said earlier, um, mm-hmm. did you see the Obi-Wan Kenobi trailer that dropped yesterday? I did. They are working really hard to make people want to care about Space Jesus. <laughs> they really are. Um, what do you mean? I take it then you were underwhelmed. Um, well, no, it looks interesting, but their their trailers for their TV shows have actually been relatively good. I I will watch it because I have Disney Plus, but I don't really care. No, I, just, I think it's a, a fair, a fair uh, criticism there. I am a little bit the same, and I can't. I don't think you liked uh, Boba Fett. Yes, um, I liked what they were trying to do. I liked the 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 fact that there was very clearly a um, a kind of that, for lack of a better descriptor, the Latinx kind of vibe to it thanks to um robert rodriguez being being the 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 showrunner essentially um but the fact that they just forgot to actually tell an interesting story about all of that kind of a problem (laughs) 
Yeah, they did kind of abandon him halfway through the series and go, don't pay it's Mandalorian. Forget no. about that guy. Um, for the finale of his show, it's like, yeah, fuck off for 20 minutes. Um, but I enjoyed it nonetheless. It, you're, it was weird. Um, <laughs> but I'm a little bit like going, I guess going, lots of explosions. Mm-hmm. Cool, I guess. I mean, that's not really what I'm looking forward to here. I mean, I'd be interested in, I'd be interested in Disney, be it in their Marvel or Star Wars IPs, trying something a little bit different. Mm-hmm. Maybe tell me a spy story. Maybe mm-hmm. a heist show, a crime mm-hmm. show, a, a you know, procedural detective story in a superhero or Star Wars universe. I don't need just superhero shows and science fiction mm-hmm. action shows. Like, mm-hmm. you can tell other kinds of stories. I mean, you've got all the money, right? I mean, prime example, honestly, is um, Only Murders in the Building. And that was That's good. Really good show, and it was totally different to anything else. It was counter. Uh, counter- what I'm right. saying here is that that is an original IP, which apparently is coming back mm-hmm. for another season. Um, yeah. but what I'm saying is, you've got, I mean, I was wrong. I think a few years ago, we, when Disney came out with their streaming service, we were like, why do we need another one? And, you mm-hmm. know, what exactly is Disney going to do to get people on board? Have they got like movies we've already seen, old Disney movies and old Marvel Star Wars movies? What are they going to do? But they, I was wrong, and obviously, fortunately, so the Disney people, I imagine, are fairly well paid. Um, they realized mm-hmm. that if battle is going to be thought on the ground, the battleground of IP, mm-hmm. that mm-hmm. is where I mean, there's the news the other week that Netflix are losing all their subscribers, or a lot of subscribers, and their, their share price dropped, and everyone was like, is this the death of Netflix? Mm-hmm. Um, they don't have that. They don't have that, and they haven't been good at doing that. I mean, so Disney have fucking nailed it because they've got Marvel, got Star Wars. Now that is the, the base on which they build everything that they, everything else that they do. There is on on the, on the, the you know the shoulders of those two IP, and you know for now at least they can just keep pumping out Marvel and Star Wars shows, exactly. and people will watch them, and you know people will get it for their fucking kids, so they can go back and watch Guardians of the Galaxy six times a day. Um, yeah. and Mar- you know, Disney were able to pick up Marvel for a bargain ba- bargain price, and it has paid for itself a thousand times over. And it is the reason why we are in the position that we are. It's impressive, and yeah, totally. You know, the the golden goose keeps laying eggs. And in we look at you know, um, Amazon is now in the James Bond game. They mm-hmm. are, they have the a load of a rings right, and that's mm-hmm. you know, if you're a rights holder, people are going to throw money at you, right? To to have yeah. you know to have the right mm-hmm. to make shows that you know they had the uh, wheel of time, which you know, imagine 25 years ago someone was going to try and buy up the rights to wheel of time and make a TV show, and fuck off they were. Mm-hmm. Um, and Netflix they can't play on that that field. I don't think they don't have the rights to anything. They've got to come up with their own shit. And they're not very good I mean, the at that. I've got is The Witcher, and maybe Bridgerton. People like Bridgerton quite a bit. The Witcher, um, Bridgerton, um, original IP of Stranger Things. But the other original IP that they've tried that has been big budget, like Altered Carbon, that was a failure. Um, they've they tried they've could persistently try to kind of resurrect shows that were abandoned at other other things like Lucifer and. Um, 
what were a couple of the other ones? I can't remember now off the top of my head, but they, they're kind of buzzards just picking at whatever they can, which is really bizarre considering they were the, the first big one to really make it big. You think, okay, first in best dressed, but apparently not. They missed a well, lot of opportunities. But they saw it coming. I'll go pay it to them. I mean, we're hardly mm -hmm. analysts in this space, but if you go back five or six years and they started coming out, maybe a bit longer now, they came out when they first came out with like um, Orange is the New Black, I think was their, one of their very first mm. um, big, you know, uh, with their own productions. And remember how weird it was that Netflix are making their own stuff? I mean, the House only place like uh, House of Cards, another one, and how they were so successful with their first shows, you know, their mm. first few shows. When they, really i guess that now they've got into it they've kind of gone backwards they don't seem to come up with those hits anywhere near as often but i guess the, the other thing is that back then they were kind of the only game in town now mm -hmm. every, if you're a writer with you know any kind of talent and an idea the competition for people who've got ideas is massive now because there are what in the states you, you've got prime disney netflix apple uh hulu HBO. paramount hbo that's seven i can think of off the top of my head yeah. and there's a couple other smaller ones you've got you know um i saw roughly we're making original material now so we saw the, the trailer the other day for the weird owl movie is going straight to roku screaming mm -hmm. um tubi and crackle and stuff occasionally make their own shit mm -hmm. awful probably but they you know <laughs> and, um, and you've got the shutter as well and, and you've got broadcast television you know, mm -hmm. the, the cable network still exists in some mm -hmm. way, shape, or form. So, um, his talent is so diluted now. I, I imagine that can that's probably a reason for it. They're not going to be landing on on Netflix because, well, they've got so many other places to go. And, um, but they saw it coming. They seemed to get that they just couldn't get by showing old movies anymore. Um, but they needed to make their own movies and their own TV shows and their own IP. But they just. I mean, you know, they made the original Marvel TV series, um, and you know, it didn't really go so well for them. But people mm -hmm. seem to hold this some sort of elevated light now. I don't understand why. Mm -hmm. um, but you know, they could see it coming, but they just didn't quite nail it. Like you kind of wonder, how did they? Mm -hmm. Did they not want to go out and buy mm -hmm. Star Trek? Because you can see well, Paramount now. Paramount now are really Star Trek. It's almost their battering ram for Paramount Plus. We've got Star Trek. Yeah. Yeah, and the only other one that they're really pushing is Indiana Jones. It's like, oh, yes, remember nostalgia? <laughs> They've got the Yellow Jackets was on Paramount in Australia, at least. So I don't know where yeah. it landed, up, but that was really good telly. But I mean, um, the closest that Netflix have come is they've got this deal with Mark Miller for his Miller World stuff, and that came out with Jupiter Ascending, which tanked, and it's been instead of having a season two, they're completely retooling it and changing it entirely to a totally new series. It's like, okay, sure. Don't it's, care. Um, it'll be interesting to see. I saw someone say to me the other day that they felt like Netflix might lose this war in the long run because everyone else has something they can lean on. Yeah. Disney make movies, they have theme parks, they have cruise lines, they're fucking Disney. Mm -hmm. Amazon have fucking Amazon, right? So they can lose money forever on their TV channel because they're just making all the monies in their, mm. you know, their Amazon business. And plus everything else that they've got their fingers in. Um, mm. Apple make a, I don't know if you heard of Apple. They make a moderately successful brand of telephone. Um, no, I don't know. Apple. Um, uh, Apple. You know, 
So in, in that in that war, those I mean, obviously you got HBO and Paramount there who are maybe somewhat in the similar boat, but um, HBO don't seem to have had that dip in quality that the others have had. Well, HBO are owned, I believe, by Warner Brothers Discovery now. I think they just got um, sold. They just because um, John Oliver takes the piss out of them all the time, but um, yeah, they just got sold to somebody else. But you're right, they were owned by Warner. Yeah, and I, I think they're I think they're now uh, I think Warner Brothers and all of Warner affiliates are now owned by Discovery. That's right. Um, yeah, as Warner Discovery, and I honestly wouldn't be surprised if Netflix was to to die, considering the Netflix worldwide, not just in the US, is usually the first place that you're going to be able to get that um, usually get the sort of like the Harry Potter movies and any of the DC movies, any of the properties that are Warner Brothers movies. I wouldn't be surprised if if Netflix had financial problems, Warner's go, okay, we'll buy you and we'll fold you into HBO and it'll be HBO Netflix or something the, like that. The brand seems like it's worth something, doesn't it? It doesn't feel yeah. like it. I mean, they're interesting. They could be the next blockbuster. Yeah. Remember how big blockbuster were once upon a time? They seemed mm-hmm. insurmountably huge. Yeah. And then, you know, now they're dead. Um, but surprising that nobody ever bought the brand for something useful. But um, I'd be surprised if no one saw value in, in Netflix and their catalog of stuff um, yeah. if they ever fell over. But I kind of feel like maybe you know, go back and watch this new our shows from three or four years ago when we said yeah. Disney Plus, you know, <laughs> <laughs> that doesn't sound good now. Um, but, you know, we'll find out, I guess, in the long run whether we're right. But I kind of feel like, I don't know. I, 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 how do you do? You have Netflix. I do have Netflix. Yes. Do you, I feel like it's like the least common thing I watch now. It's like of all the streaming services, I think can't think of the last thing that landed on Netflix. I thought, no, I need to watch that. You know what the thing with the problem that Netflix has is it doesn't have, in spite of it being the birth of binge TV, it hasn't ever been able to actually break into um so like timetable tv like disney have their marvel and their um star wars episodes that every wednesday the new episode of moon knight drops and things like that and so it's a reason to open that app every week because you're getting something new with netflix if like stranger things when season four comes out if it's binge i'm gonna binge the shit out of it because i'm gonna want to watch it i love that show um, but if they did it one at a time, there's instantly reason to open the app. And if they had a couple of brands that they were able to kind of go, okay, so Mondays I'm going to be watching the new episode of Stranger Things and talk about that until the next episode comes out the next week. Fridays I go in and I watch the new episode of whatever it is that they're doing, Voltron Defenders of the Universe or whatever it is. It gives reason to go back, but it's the the culture of Netflix is get in, smash the shit out of it in eight hours, and then get out until next year or a year and a half when the next season launches. There's not too much impetus, and there's not enough new content coming out to it that is um, mass audience appeal. Like There's tons of content out there, especially a lot of Korean stuff coming in, lots of Korean shows but they very fluctuate in quality. Some of them are very generic and derivative of much better stuff. Then you do also get these really cool ones. 
their animation department has been shut down now because they lost so many subscribers, which is ridiculous considering the overall quality of their original animated shows that they've had. In something like um, the, 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 um, what was the, um, the Amazon superhero show that was animated, um, Invincible? Oh, yeah. Yeah, um, um, now, that was a mini phenomenon there for a little while. And it was very, mm. I imagine, very successful. You hear a lot of people talk about it. Mm. Everybody's been talking about it. It's amazing. It's the best thing ever. We've got the best animation. Um, huge. Um, huge. Um, but, you know, it goes to show animation, how fucking huge Rick and Morty is. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not saying that they were going to make anything of that level of quality. Um, no. Dan, Dan Harmon doesn't work very often, apparently. But, <laughs> you know... Um, it goes to show you can do a lot with animation. Um, it's a very popular storytelling device for adults and children. Mm-hmm. And you, you see how, I mean, I said it before how uh, Amazon sort of become the home ground now for fantasy. Mm-hmm. Wheel of Time, uh, whatever that Critical Role show was. Um, the uh, uh, coming Lord out. of the Rings stuff's coming out. And they've had a bunch of other little ones in there I think we've talked about in the past. So they're almost establishing not necessarily their brand, but if you like fantasy, you've probably you know. made me think Amazon because that's where you get your stuff. Yeah. Um, and that's actually been kind of a useful, potentially useful, really little marketing tool for them. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas it's kind of surprising that Netflix hasn't decided to go where, where you see good anime, all the best yeah. anime, maybe, uh, you know, people love that shit. I can't stand it. But, you know, like you want good anime, you watch it here. To the punch with anime because Crunchyroll is basically the only app that now pretty much exists. They've there was Anime Lab, there was Funimation, there was Crunchyroll, there were a couple of other ones, but they slowly but surely bought each other out. And now everything is under Crunchyroll, and it's like, okay, yeah, you like anime, cool, just get that, and you literally get everything that you could ever want. Whereas Netflix, they would at the moment they've got um, like the first two seasons of One Piece, and that's a show that's got well over a thousand episodes, and it's still not finished yet. And yet they were only able to get two seasons. They randomly it's, get bits and pieces. It's a mess. And Crunchyroll is now owned by Sony. Yeah. Um, so now, so... just off the top of your head, what is like? What what genre do you think of when you think of Netflix? Uh, I think of lousy documentaries, personally. It's kind of the red brand for me is shitty documentaries um, that people watch and like because of their confirmation bias. But um, <laughs> they do do a lot of that, though. Like, they'll be like, uh, yes. funny enough, I was walking home from my, I was going to my personal trainer tonight, and I was walking home down St. Kilda Road. I was waiting at the stoplight, uh, the traffic lights to cross, and a girl mm. on a bicycle rode up next to me. And the first thing I noticed was, uh, a yellow sign hanging off a basket on the back of her bike that said Netflix watch cowspiracy, which is a, um, a piece of vegan propaganda uh, parading as a documentary. And they have a lot of those, but more amusingly in the more, and then just to tail the tail, put the tail on that story um, on inside the back of her bicycle next to him was crammed her basket on the back of her bicycle was crammed full of United Australia Party signs that she'd obviously ripped off posts and was taking away to dispose of. And I'm like, on the one hand, if you don't know, we have an election here. So she basically torn down people's election signs that had crammed them into the back of her bike. 
And trust me, if you're a vegan who wants people to watch Cowspiracy so much that you're advertising it on your bicycle around Melbourne, you ain't voting for the United Australia Party, let me tell you right now. Um, so I don't think she was taking them home to to put on her wall or put in her front yard so people know about their local UAP member. Um, so um, I was like, okay, Cowspiracy is a bit shit and most Netflix documentaries are, but you're doing God's work, really. So kudos to you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, it, but that's, that's I don't think they have a brand. No, they don't. They, they, they never they, really have. Which kind of everything to everyone. It what that kind of was their brand because they had the serious stuff of House of Cards and the slightly more comical adult thing of um Orange is the New Black and then they had the the big success of Stranger Things which is really their only show that is still going that has got any hype behind it. It's like, okay, you did the Marvel shows for a while. Daredevil season one was great. Jessica Jones season one was great. Daredevil two was not great. Jessica Jones was not great. Luke Cage, not great. Iron Fist, not great. Defenders, terrible. Hmm, oops. Yeah, and they're actually the most expensive now. Yeah. They keep popping their price up. Um, We've stuck yeah. the boots in the van for a little while, so I should probably segue yeah. out of the Netflix chat, but I think it's interesting. I find it interesting, isn't it, like how they were, you know, the first, the biggest, for a long time the best, and how they look like they're slipping. Mm. Um, yeah. It's interesting how often that happens. You know, you get to the top, you get comfortable, and then, you know, people come for you. In the wise words of King Louis, you reach the top and you have to stop, and that's what's bothering me. Oh, ubi do I want to be like you. I think there's something in that for all of us, don't you? <laughs> have, we got time? have we got time for our sponsor this week? I think we do, yeah. Yeah, let's go to our sponsor. Who is our sponsor this week? I just want to make sure that they're actually ready. Oh, okay. Yes, yes, I think we're fine. We're now going to be crossing to German Variety TV for a special conversation with Mark Hamill in a gold jumpsuit. Mond, weil er selbst steht 
offene Prinz. Manche sind eben tierisch auf Adel begierig, man kennt das ja. Nun hängt er da nicht wahr und zählt zu den Blamierten. Doch es endet wie wir nach Frauen illustrierten. Er fühlt sich sehr versetzt und ungeharnischt und sagt, Unter einer Königin läuft nun mehr bei mir gar nicht. Wir liefern prompt noch dazu eine Aparte. Hier meine Karte. Und das geht? Das zweite galaktische Fernsehen weiß, was sie gern sehen, mit Empfehlung vom Chef. Happy End mit Miss Berlin. Was sagen Sie da? Auf Schönheitsköniginnen steht auch Papa. Oder bläst er knapp die Sache ab? Dann fröhliche Weihnacht auch im All. Fröhliche Weihnacht überall. Das Imperium. Well. Well, there you go. <laughs> that was a treat for everyone. Yeah, that was that was a thing. That happened. <laughs> um, it's interesting to hear Mark Hamill's take on it. I, I think so. I think um, so. And he actually from a variety sketch show. I initially didn't want to do, but I thought it doesn't matter. No one outside Germany will see it. Oh, then the internet happened. <laughs> yeah, well, who could have seen that in 1980? <laughs> um, German was pretty good there for someone who doesn't speak German. Ah. Um, that's oh. a little treat you can find around. On YouTube, if you want to watch it, um, <laughs> don't know why you would, but it's there. Should we? Um, should, should we, we talk, talk about the one that we missed last week? Yes, um, <laughs> we were going to get to it. We just ran a little bit too long last week, which never happens. Um, speaking of Disney Plus, this is a show that is now streaming on Disney Plus mm-hmm. as they've bought Fox, mm-hmm. and that is uh, Death on the Nile. Mm-hmm. Have you seen it? I have. This is the sequel to Kenneth Branagh's directed um, Murder on the Orient Murder. Express. Yet again, we're going back to the over Agatha Christie. Have you ever read the books? Long time ago. Yeah. Not all of them, but um, a couple of them. Like I, I actually can't remember which ones I've I've read, but I grew up. There are a lot uh, of them, I think. There are... Yeah. And I grew up on my mum was a huge fan of the David Suchet BBC TV version, or it might have been ITV version of um, Agatha Christie, Christie's Poirot TV shit series. So that so was... This is, the, this is the modern updated version of that one. That's kind of when I think of Agatha Christie, I think of those very austere British ones that used to be on the ABC here on sets that all people watched. Um, oh, yeah, uh, probably, of, um, probably that to- one. No, no, that no. was a TV show, I reckon. Probably that, one you're talking about been, in the nineties uh, and yeah, yeah. It had the sort of like um, look, yeah. Uh, I never, I've never read the books. Um, uh, I've never been uh, a big fan of I guess Chrissy. Well, never, I haven't read the books, so maybe they're great. I don't know, but um, mm. this is, as you said, the sequel to Murder on Air Express. While on vacation on the Nile, Hercule Poirot must investigate the murder of a young heiress. 
This mm-hmm. has a an incredible cast. Mm-hmm. Uh, Net Benning, Kenneth Branagh is back again as Hercule Poirot. He's also directing mm-hmm. Russell Brand. Um, uh, who else we got in here? We've, of course, got Wonder Woman herself, um, yep. whose name escaped. Uh, Galga, sorry. Um, <laughs> uh, it's a huge cast. Um, and they all look like they're having a pretty good time. So is yeah. Jennifer Saunders in here? Was that who I... Uh, um, yeah. As well. Um, Sophie Okanoda, Letitia mm-hmm. Wright, of course, of um, Army Black Hammer. Panther fame. Army Hammer. Before. He made this before all that stuff came out. All the cannibal stuff, Army. It was, you know, it's, it's, it's all just hyperbole. He's just gone into hiding for no reason. He's innocent. <laughs> Saunders and French in here was a nice touch. Hmm. Um, but I was like... Amy Hammer, I haven't seen you in anything for years. Um, and I don't think I will be seeing him in anything for years. Mm. I think he's decided to shut down his career. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you don't know what I'm talking about, just Google it. Mm-hmm. Um, the other one that I want... Is it frustrating, though? No, I, I, go. You come across somebody with real talent, and they just just like... Yeah. Oh, you're a piece of shit. I can't anymore. This week, mm-hmm. I learned that Tommy, mm-hmm. lead singer of Queens of the Age, who, who you and I reviewed their last record a couple of years ago, is a piece of mm-hmm. shit. Woman beater. Um, <sighs> who threatened to kill his girlfriend, his ex-wife's new boyfriend. I'm like, oh, I really like that band. I really liked them. And like now I can't listen mm-hmm. to your music anymore because you're mm-hmm. a piece of shit. Mm-hmm. Guys, piece of shit, please. I mean, it's hard. I've gone 44 years and I've think i've been mostly successful so um <laughs> just pulls out the knives it's a pro tip <laughs> um, i'm sorry army hammer I'm like man he is he was on his way to somebody he was going to play superman um yeah. and yeah the george miller in the, uh, in the george yeah. miller yeah. um so but then yeah he had to go and become a cattle okay well whatever dude <laughs> but anyway it was, now, the, uh, it was interesting uh, to see when you to call out um, was Emma Mackey, who plays uh, Jacqueline de Belfort, the uh, obsessed, jaded ex-lover oh, yes, of, course. of yeah. she is... She's probably the one I've never heard of in this before. Yeah, you, you won't because you didn't watch Sex Education on Netflix, going back to our previous conversation. I tried. I loved the show, and a lot of people, when they watched that, just like, oh, my God, is that my Margot Robbie? And yes, there is a similarity to a certain degree in the look. Um, but I loved her in that show and I thought she did great in this, especially considering she's not exactly had much acting career um, just because she's still very young. And she is thrown into one hell of an ensemble cast and she keeps pace. Just as it. I did watch a few episodes of Sex Education, and I'm honest, it was okay. It was okay, but um, <laughs> just as usual, just a very belmange of shit that that Netflix put out without any real identity. But Gillian <laughs> Anderson's really fucking good, and Gillian Anderson, living treasure. But Emma Mackey, yeah, he was a real standout in this for me. Mm-hmm. In a sense, with all these massive stars, and she was the, mm-hmm. she was far and away the most impressive performance in the film. Hundred percent, hundred percent. Um, 
This is a film that I should note, but like, this is not good. I didn't yeah. see Murder on the Orient Express, so I can't comment on whether that was any good or not. This is weak. The Murder on the Orient Express was good, and it had its own casting controversy, what with Johnny Depp, and that was right at the very beginning of the whole Johnny Depp and the Herd debacle, which we are now getting to... to the true meat and potatoes of elsewhere in the world of law and Hollywood news. Um, so it seems to be a curse of these movies, but a hundred percent, this is a much harder to enjoy movie. Not only is it long, but it's also, we've talked about it as a positive for Gal Gadot and her performance as Wonder Woman of knowing her limitations and sticking her to to that and just not asking much beyond that in this they do ask more of her and she doesn't hit the mark often she is supposed to be this beautiful kind of siren goddess kind of just effortless effortlessly beautiful intelligent charismatic kind of person and she is, but at the same time, she isn't, and it feels lacking. But the pace of the movie, trying to expand the mythos and the humanity of Hercule Poirot, does not serve this movie well. You're right. She's a very limited actress. Mm. She, she, and that's why she kind of worked in in Wonder Woman. It's like Schwarzenegger in the early 80s. Um, mm -hmm. You know, those Terminator films, he wasn't much of an actor back then. He's got better over the years. Um, yeah. But when he was doing Terminator, he was very limited. But the genius of James Cameron was to put him in a role where he didn't have to do much. Mm -hmm. He was he wrote being romantic. And hence, yes. you know, um, Gal Gadot, who being an exceptionally limited actress, and that's being generous. Um, woman, that naivete and sort of limitation kind of really worked for the character. Yeah, and this is some sort of glamorous, you know, um, heiress. Mm -hmm. Social isn't very convincing, and no. you know, she's supposed to be charismatic and beautiful and alluring, and yeah, she's good looking, but that's that's the limitation of it. She's not charismatic. No, she's not alluring. She's not convincing. No. Um, basically, the gist of it is she steals um, Emma Mackey's man mm -hmm. uh, for off her. Basically, she, she they meet him on the, she meets him and basically woos him away from her friend, mm. um, uh, um, uh, uh, Jacqueline de Belfort, mm -hmm. um, and hence setting off the you know the central you know um, drama of a film that you know Simone wants revenge, mm. um, but. She's just so bland, too mm -hmm. bland as a human being that, like, you're like, I don't. Apart from being really got not much going for her. Um, part, part of the the other issue of it is it is essentially a cruise of hedonism, and that's not exactly an endearing thing. It's like, okay, you you want you you want us to empathize with the woe of. Lynette Ridgway, Gal Gadot's character, and how she's being victimized by Jacqueline because she took, um, she fell in love with her her fiance and things like that. And it's like, okay, but sorry. First thing that comes to mind is dick move. Second thing, you 
you're going around flashing fuck tons of cash. You have paid for the world's greatest detective to just hang around because you don't trust any of your friends. You're a fucking idiot if you are doing this. There's everything that she does in just is in counter position to everything she says and what we are being told that she is she's supposed to be this really intelligent businesswoman who under who controls everything even on a cruise she's signing papers and doing all of this stuff as well okay but you're being an idiot because you don't trust any of these people and yet you literally invited them onto a boat with you where you can't escape mm. uh, it's, um, it's she doesn't come across as an intelligent businesswoman. It's a little bit like that <laughs> film in the Paul Kidman played a brain surgeon. You're like, um, <laughs> get over it. Nah, sorry, not buying that one. <laughs> to be fair, we did believe that Pamela Anderson could save lives as well. Ah, uh, speak for yourself. Um, <laughs> I, I don't think anybody. I mean, we we wanted to believe. We really did. Yeah. But, um. One of the main problems, aside from the acting in there, you're right. Um, she's the fact that she, she's such a key figure in this, and she's not very good at it. She's horribly miscast, mm-hmm. basically. Is mm-hmm. the film looks awful? It looks terrible. Like it's there are so, there are numerous technical issues in this film. Now I am going to put one of them down to Disney, mm-hmm. maybe, but the rest of it is mm-hmm. down to the filmmaker. The first one, it, the film's prologue, um, oh, the uh, in the is set in the First World War in Black Ops, where we learn about how Poirot got a scar on his face that nobody cares about. Yay! That was worth spending ten minutes on. Mm-hmm. Um, now I'm going to say this is a Disney problem. Mm-hmm. I think we, I, I watch films with subtitles on because I'm going deaf and I'm old. Um, there, so I usually had the subtitles on. They the subtitles during that first ten minutes just had speaks French, French speak French, yells in French. That was all it had, and I'm like, fucking great. I mean, like you know, that might be great if it's like nothing important being said, but there's stuff being said I think I need to know about. Like, so I don't know what the hell's going on. So what I had to do is I had mm-hmm. to not only put on um, the usual closed caption subtitles, I had to put on the subtitles with the audio description the description of what's happening okay. um and so that would actually tell me what the people were saying in french because the regular closed captions didn't so gonna say that's not a problem necessarily with kenneth Branagh's film it's a disney problem i don't know if other people have had it maybe it was just me don't know mm-hmm. um but the major problem is this film is set in egypt Mm-hmm. Um, and down the Nile, funnily enough, and there are a number of very picturesque, you know, incredibly spectacular. Mm-hmm. I haven't been to Egypt, that would be interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, locations that one can, vi- you know, you, vistas, you know, you want to have in the background the pyramids, you know, the famous statues and shit. <laughs> the, the special effects is terrible. We're talking at the start of a show about idle hands and the hands. You know, the, the, how they animated the hand um, and then excited the guy out of it. <laughs> this film is, you know, from a major studio with major stars in it. And the special effects look like something that Uwe Boll was pumping out 25 years ago. Seriously, the green screen work, the, the, the CGI backgrounds were yeah. some stuff I've seen. The worst I've seen in Hollywood 
that I can in memory. I don't understand why that is because yes, obviously they couldn't go to Egypt and the Nile because everything's the Nile is not as clean and tidy as that anymore, especially when they were heading off from Cairo. Um, and you know, certain COVID problem probably limited them, but you know, I always think of sort of like close sets, world sets, and Sleepy Hollow. That was just one giant factory where they just built an entire forest where they could just roam around and just do whatever they needed to have all the things. Like, weren't they? Couldn't they have done something like that? Different series is a highly stylized film. They could get away with it, not really looking like a real place because it's Tim fucking Burton and it doesn't need to. True. Um, True. But I mean. This is 2022, right? Like, you can't, mm-hmm. I can't imagine that, that actually producing a realistic Vista CGI mm-hmm. background of, of a, you know, mm-hmm. a, 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 an imagined you know, Egypt from 100 years ago is that expensive or difficult to do when you consider the capabilities of CGI? Um, I do. Or, or if you go back, so if you go back to, 2000 Amelie. Mm. Um, that's a very heavy CGI film, believe it or not, because mm. they made. Uh, you've been, you haven't been to Paris, have you? Yeah, I have. Been about, you know how dirty that fucking city is? Yeah. <laughs> the, the, the Paris of Amelie <laughs> is clean and beautiful, you know, and yep. like that's not real Paris. No, they just use CGI. <laughs> no, um, no weirdos hanging around. What was there? Weirdos hanging around. All the um, famous tourists about English people in France. <laughs> Clipboards, they weren't English, trust me. I think they were trying <laughs> to tell me about Syrian refugees. And hmm. they had clipboards getting trying to get me to sign a petition or something like that. And like, you know, the um the fastest way to get rid of them is not to go, I don't want to, or I don't speak French because they all spoke English. Uh-huh. Um, was to uh one word I remembered one of the very few words I remember in Russian is nyet. And they just go, just leave me the hell alone because they didn't speak Russian. <laughs> um, um, but uh, none of those weirdos with clipboards in Amelie. So, you know, mm-hmm. that was 20 years ago with a tiny budget. So do mm-hmm. you not be able to do something similar? Obviously, you did not want to take it location short. But I don't understand why the specialists were so bad. They were really woeful. I have a theory and a potential reason for that. And it is... Um, very much being felt in the movies that we are getting now and why movies such as Black Adam have been delayed because of COVID. All of the, there's now this huge rush um, for CGI products to be finished and there's not enough CGI houses to do it. They are backlogged. And this was done at the start of it when everything was just shutting down. And the idea of remote working for CGI projects was not really there. They, they hadn't set up their, their systems to be able to actually do that. The security of working on a major movie release at home, uh-uh. nah, come on, they're not going to do that, even for something like Death on the Nile. They want to protect that property so it doesn't get pirated. I remember... I'm surprised though, but it got had... delayed for a couple of years that it didn't... So I had to come back and clean that up a little bit. Mm. 
But, is it, is um, it me? Is it by the way? Is it me, or, or maybe I'm just being overcritical here? Did you find the effects deeply unconvincing and woeful as well? I don't think they were terrible, but they just reminded me of like 2004. They didn't look good. <laughs> that was why I'm saying no. they're woeful, is because they it's were so old. they looked really out of date. Mm. And especially and really for something like we talked about at the beginning, where it's in the trenches, we've had two very good movies where they delivered very, very realistic um, trench experiences. Even Wonder Woman had an actually pretty good trench sequence and it looked good. This looks... So often I find Kenneth Branagh has still not fully gotten rid of his theatre thinking. And he sets things and he shoots things and he directs things in a very theatrical way, as in going to the theatre rather than a movie. And it's almost um, like I can imagine him directing Death on the Nile on the stage and not actually having to change that much with how he presents this movie on to being on stage because it's very blocked. There's, it doesn't feel organic. And a lot of his movies have that same problem where it's, it feels like a set and it's all about the performances. But unfortunately the performances here were so varied and hinging on two storylines that we didn't care about. Don't care about why Hercule Poirot is the way that he is. We like the way he is and we don't need or want to know. And, oh, the victim is an uninteresting person that we don't really care about. So everything else is just going to hang very loose and saggy and it's not going to be enjoyable. It, it's a fair point. Yeah, it's he does have a very stagey way of mm. filming Stuff think like about kind of works. Hamlet or Much Ado or About Nothing. Even if you, it's actually a fantastic observation because I felt that while I was watching, uh, he directed Thor, right? The first Thor film. Yeah. Um, mm -hmm. And that felt stagey. Every part of that felt like it was stage, you know, even to when Thor came to Earth and it was fight a annihilator thing yeah. um, in, in the little town. That felt <laughs> like a stage. Yeah, everything it, did, it didn't feel like a real place. No, you know, even even Man of Steel, like, like with a big horrible fight sequence between Zod and Superman in the, in Smallville, mm. like a real town. To mm -hmm. Zack Snyder's credit, the the big fight scene for Thor. It, if I remember watching, it going the first Thor film was kind of like, yeah, yeah all right, okay, um, but it felt every part of it kind of felt like it was being filmed on a set. Mm. Yeah. Um, would have been perfectly at home on a stage, as you say, the kind of yeah. Brenner. Um, mm. The other part of a film I think it was problematic, and that's kind of hard to avoid, is the subject matter. It's yeah, it's an it's an old story. It's what of God, what in the mm. early twentieth century, probably. I'm guessing. I should know that, <laughs> but, but I don't know. Um, but you know, attitudes towards the people who live in places like Egypt have significantly from mm -hmm. Ago for Christie's time. And while I'm certain they've tried to update it and try and scrub out the mm -hmm. inherent racism, but mm -hmm. only 
in the film in the um and they even they even insert a very uh overt uh and unsourced uh LGBT plot in the story. Mm-hmm. Which I actually mm-hmm. thought was kind of cool. But yeah, it, nice. I had to check that wasn't in the um mm. original text. Though it, over the years Christy um scholars, at least for Christy scholars, have interpreted that potentially the cat some type there are is a little bit of um LGBT action in there, sort of unspoken because of the time. Um, mm. the uh, the attitudes are almost of a colonialism is inherent in the story. Yeah, it still feels like it's there, mm-hmm. and it kind of, you know, I criticize work culture for whatever it is, if you want to call it that, or people who, you know, um, go a little bit too far in that space. But I couldn't help but feel it was a bit still there in a way that made me feel like. All the servants are black, and you know, there's a bunch of really incredibly white people in this boat, except for Letitia mm-hmm. Wright, um, and the um, her mom. But you know, uh, 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 it was a bit, mm, mm. you know, uh, I, mean, it's like, I think they had the same problem a couple of years ago when they did that Tarzan film with Alexander Skarsgård. Yeah, the great white hope is not a good tagline, it's, it's a problem with making white people in Africa. That are set in the early mm-hmm. 20th century. Like, obviously, mm-hmm. attitudes were pretty shitty towards, well, you know, pretty shitty or incredibly shitty towards the people <laughs> who lived in those countries, you know, <laughs> colonialism. But like, yeah, it, it's hard to tell. I mean, do you want to still to want to still want to tell that you, mm-hmm. yeah, I don't think you can entirely remove that from the story itself. And uh, I don't know, parts of it are still there, and you kind of go, I don't know about this. Yeah. For for the record, 1937 was when Death on the Nile was first published. Yeah. So so um, obviously, culture and society has changed a lot in that time. We've had you know a couple of world wars, few life changing, global changing events here or there across the decades. Just a smidge. Just just a, just a, just, a, just a touch. It was a it was an interesting decade, the nineteen thirties. There was a bit going on. Hmm. Um, uh, you know what? The kind of the thing that maybe uh, while I was watching this film, what it kept making me think was, "Geez, I liked Knives Out." Mm. Geez, I, I mean, like I I don't know, but I have to assume that Daniel Craig's um, character in that film is somehow linked oh. back to the. Hercule Poirot type character. Well, there's um, even there's even that line in Knives Out where he's sort of like he's one of the dying breed of gentleman detectives, and that's sort of like okay, so you, that's just a little wink and a nod to Hercule Poirot, uh, Sherlock Holmes, and things like that. And those the legendary characters that are the sort of like I'm going to sit in a smoking jacket and just tell you all your motivations in front of you. Or I'm yes. thinking of um, Mansfield Park with Stephen Fry yeah. as a detective at that, and you know solving the mystery and putting all the pieces together. But that was yes. a more comedic interior. But I think it's that 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 tradition of that mm-hmm. kind of character. Mm-hmm. And I mean, I think it's the second week in a row I've really given I've had to call out um, knives out uh, knives out for how good it fucking was because it was really, really, really fucking good. Mm-hmm. And I'm curious to see how they do it in a sequel and mm-hmm. whether they can do it anywhere near as well but like they just nailed that and like that is what this should have been 
I, I think wonder... they take themselves a little bit too seriously here. Maybe they needed a bit of levity in here. Maybe they needed to be less authentic or less in love with the material. Well, I kind of wonder if maybe there's certain a certain time period of source material such as this, such as Tarzan, where it's like, okay, you know what? It is highly problematic to set it at the time that it is actually set. Can we utilize the interesting elements of this story and modernize it or fuck it, even do it in fucking space if you want to. And just like what they did, we talked about it earlier in the show in the, in the 90s where they did the rom-com Shakespeare variations and Underworld being a bastardization of Romeo and Juliet, doing something like that with Hercule Poirot and just going, okay, you know what? Instead of death on the Nile, it's death on the Star Destroyer. We could relocate it to Australia, and instead of death on a Nile, it could be drunk in the fucking Yarra, mate. It'd just be like a, a, booze cruise goes, a booze cruise that just goes up the fucking river to fucking, you know, fucking Warrandite, mate, and like like somebody fucking dropped the fucking keg off the side of a bloody boat. She's fucking dead. Can't. <laughs> fucking out of beer, mate. What the fuck? <laughs> Drunk on the air, it just it just rolls off the tongue. It just <laughs> everywhere you come out with world. gold. <laughs> it's, just, it's, it's a gift to the universe, and maybe the universe will make it happen. It would be fucking hilarious. So I'm already thinking, like, hey, there's a famous Australian film called Don's Party about a bunk on the night of the 1972 election. Um, mm-hmm. and it's a, it's actually an Australian classic and it, it's, it's just about a bunch of guys getting drunk and being horrible. Um, and uh, <laughs> maybe you could just do it at Don's party on a boat. Um, you know, it would be hilarious, but you're right. You, I mean, look at Bob Wire last week was essentially a remake of Casablanca, yeah. um, in post-apocalyptic you know, um, future America, you know, but it's it's tricky to get it right. Maybe it didn't bother many people. I don't know. It was one of the, and, you know, probably if I'd have been enjoying it more, I probably wouldn't have been thinking about it. Mm. And I reckon of it, when you get Kenneth Branagh, he has made it his legacy to respect the source material of everything that he has ever adapted or translated to the stage or to the screen and kudos i'm sure this is a very good representation of the book but at the same time that is not necessarily what's going to work i think this is tailored tailor made um for the older generation who miss Hercule Poirot, who want to be able to go to the cinema and not have lots of special in-your-face special effects and not have something that's in space and not have something that's about superheroes or horror or anything like that. So where are the classics, you know? No, I think you're right. It's, it's, uh, it's definitely, and I think I remember it when, the, when, when, when Matt, that was actually an observation of people like this is a film that did quite well. It did mm. quite well with, you know, 40-plus-year-old people who want to go to the cinema too and mm. see a good story, but the, 
you're right. The vast majority of cinema now is really targeted at a younger audience. And mm. not to say that older people aren't into Marvel as well, but they're not the core audience, that kind of thing. Yeah. And there are fewer and fewer. I mean, it's a different world now to when the first one of these came out, but there are mm-hmm. fewer and fewer stories made for these type of people. And so I understand mm-hmm. the appeal. That's why I was mm-hmm. curious to watch it when it came out. Landed straight to Disney Plus very quickly here in Australia mm-hmm. um, after Vapor Fox. And I get it. I get it. It's a, it's a good idea. I just think it needs to be executed better than this if they want to do any more. Absolutely agree. Absolutely agree. Now, um, speaking of executing things well. Oh, segue back. Well done. Smooth. Um, I, we have had uh, one of my favorite, a new season, one of my favorite TV shows has just started in the last month. Mm. That is the, uh, Final season of Paul Saul. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is the sixth season, and as I said, final season. Um, mm-hmm. and, and almost didn't get it. Poor old Bob Odenkirk um, had a mm. heart attack in the middle of production. Yeah. But thank God he's a treasure. We still have him. Um, and this is still, I, I, I think... I, I talked a few weeks ago about how I think um, Severance might be the best TV show that's been on that mm. I've seen since Breaking Bad. Mm. This would be in that conversation as well. Uh, I know you're not you weren't a massive fan of Breaking Bad. You ever got around or you got into Breaking Bad? So um, it, it's a damn shame. I hope you do find a way. I've watched half of season one. Maybe got to season two, but. I made the mistake of trying to smash through it just to get from one end to the other. That is not a show that you smash through. No, no, it's one at a time, I think. It's not a, Mm -hmm. it's not binge watching. Um, Mm -hmm. But I I think most people generally agreed that Breaking Bad is, you know, would be in that conversation with The Mm -hmm. Wire and The Sopranos. Generally, your top three TV shows of all time, maybe, maybe the old one here and there is. Well, Breaking Bad. Never watched an episode. I watched three episodes of that, and I'm like, "This is terrible." <laughs> what do people like about this? Apart from the fact that they get naked a lot, um, I, I think I think the final season of that is probably is probably taking it backwards a few pegs. I think even for the for the most diehard Game of Thrones fan, season five and six didn't really happen. Denied. Deny, I, I know deny. some very diehard diehard people who are like who are like, "No, I'm sorry, you've lost." me after that final episode and they won't go it and they're out now they're not they're like i'm not gonna watch mm-hmm. the prequel series or whatever it is that working on the HBO. Yeah. yeah they're not gonna if they did you ever finish that book did you ever finish the fucking next no it still hasn't come out the final book yeah no. great just get on with it mate <laughs> but anyway better call saul i mean mm-hmm. i've said it before in the show spin-off series that mm-hmm. live up to or surpass the original series Mm. Pretty rare. Um, yeah. Look, I, yeah, you know, maybe there's some out there I don't know about or I haven't heard about. This, I think, is is the finest spin-off series that I can think of that's ever had, it's, it's ever been made. It is okay in the conversation to being as good as Breaking Bad. I think maybe it's not quite there, but maybe mm-hmm. that's just because. Breaking Bad sort of came out of left field from the rest of us, you know. Brian Cranston, mm-hmm. the guy from fucking mm-hmm. Malcolm in the Middle, what? Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, Bob Odenkirk, like that, that 
who what you know um it just kind of came out of nowhere maybe it was we, our expectations are a little higher in this one but they just keep going from strength to strength to strength so uh if you're not you're not watching it at all so i guess i can spoil it a little bit for you at the end of season five it, it lands on a bit of a cliffhanger so uh, who has become the show's central big bad, Lalo Salamanca, um, there, um, is attempt, attempt to, to, to assess Fring, who is the, the big bad of Breaking Bad, um, mm-hmm. the chicken man, played exquisitely by Giancarlo Esposito. Like, pff, you know, his whole career now is playing Gus Fring in space, in Far Cry. <laughs> <laughs> you know, like <laughs> okay with that. Um yep. but he that um he is a rival of Lalo Salamanca is in the cartel and mm-hmm. they have him killed by having um Nacho Varga, who is an, an associate played brilliantly by Michael Mando, um to by who let in the uh corrupt Mexican police, the Federales, who are mm-hmm. there to assassinate and kill uh Lalo. Unfortunately for Gus, it doesn't go well, and Lalo escapes, uh, being killed by the by the Federales, um, which sets in the the others. I guess the uh, kicker of this is that uh, Jimmy, aka Saul, and his wife Kim have become uh, mixed up in what's going on with Lalo, and so they definitely want. And so okay. at the end of the series, they, everybody thinks he's dead, but he's not. And now okay. he's pissed off. This time it's personal. Um, <laughs> and so that's, the, that's the, the, the core drama at the start of this episode is Nacho is on the run. The Salamanca uh, clan are out for fucking blood because he's been marked as a, as a traitor. Mm-hmm. Gus Ring and his associate, um, Mike Ermintrout, played again perfectly by Jonathan Banks. Uh, are trying to uh, extricate him from Mexico at the same time as trying to consider what do we do with this guy? If he gets captured and talks and if they find out it was us who did it, mm. what do we do? At okay. the same time as Jimmy McGill has finally taken the, the leap and become um, starts trading or practicing law goodman. He's now answering mm-hmm. the phone, Saul Goodman. Um, Rhea Seaborns, again, perfect Kim Wexler. Is she's you can so she's almost been the um Brian Cranston uh character arc mm-hmm. over the course of the series and coming from a uh straight laced professional lawyer to you know uh Jimmy's corruption has almost completely turned it to the dark side now. And she's they've got this Ooh. sketchy plot to get back at Howard Hamlin, who uh is a recurring character in the series. Uh, okay. And so the plot's sort of jumping around between these different elements now of what's going on with Lalo, what's Gus Fring and Mike doing about making sure that, you know, they stay safe from Lalo, who's probably out for, probably out for revenge. Mm. You know, uh, Saul and Kim have this uh, skinny little plot to uh, try and undermine um, Howard Hamlin. It's, I don't want to give too much away, but it's, it's, it's a classic Vince Gilligan of, you know, you know, A, B, C, D stories all working in concert together. Mm. And they're going to be like the most perfect Venn diagrams because this corner is going to cross over that corner and this corner is going to cross over this corner. And then they're all going to collide, I'm sure, at some point mm. in the future. Um, Acting perfect. 
The direction's perfect. The cinema. I love the way he shoots. Um, uh, he doesn't direct most of the episodes. The different episodes are directed by different people. The most recent episode uh, of season six was directed by Rhea Seaborn herself. Um, okay. That was the episode Hit and Run. But I just kind of think to myself going, they all look, they have this very distinctive style of shooting things. And mm. it's almost like it's it's the Breaking Bad way of, uh, of filming mm. things. And I, there must be a book somewhere of use the same cinematographer. I don't do it with different directors mm. every week. But they just, the way it looks is so distinctly Breaking Bad. Um, mm. What we call it, the... Um, yeah, the Gilligan verse. <laughs> no, it doesn't sound quite that good. It sounds like it should be set on an island with the SS it's, Minnow. But... It's that iconic. Um, even, even I know what you're talking about just from my brief stint into Breaking Bad. And it's like a, everything shot, even like even in the opening of season where you've got um, Brian Cranston working in the, the car, uh, the car wash, it all kind of feels like an old school noir and it's got, kind of got that huskiness to the world that it's just like, it, even, even if something look, even if something is quintessentially clean in that world, it looks dirty. And it does. Yeah. Everything has got this kind of, uncomfortable sort of like 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 you can could easily imagine just jumping into anyone's mind and they've just got it was a cold dark night the wind was howling as the rain beat against my face while i went shopping for cheese (laughs) (laughs) everyone's dealing with shit (laughs) you're right though it is almost noirish but in a new mexico new mexico noir Hmm. maybe that's what we can call it. Albuquerque nah, no Albert because he <laughs> is in he loves he understands I don't know if he's from around that part of the country but he seems to mm. love it like he mm. finds the most interesting things in we start up this episode starts with a shot of a flower in the middle of a desert and mm. shit going on around it where the camera pans back and reveals something to our story mm. um and that's the kind of way episode seem to have or like a shot of a sun or a desert you appreciate that 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 new mexico is um is a character in this series uh sarah we operate a non-poking <laughs> podcast thank you very much um did george consent, uh, for consent poking? He's not. please <laughs> um but the, new mexico is a character the, the desert alba character in the show um yes. And and that it's a it's one of the, one of my favorite characters. I kind of look mm-hmm. at that and go, I've heard people have been there, but it's actually not a terribly interesting place to visit. But I'm curious. Yeah. Well, the guy, the show, apparently they did they did have yeah. to ask people to stop going to that guy's house that they threw the pizza on. Um, <laughs> there's an episode you wouldn't have seen where where Walt gets mad and throw he's got a pizza and he ends up throwing it on the roof of a garage, and all the um that's up someone's real house, and so. They had to tell the tours to stop going down the street and taking, staying at the front, and taking photos of a pizza roof. Um, I would totally go and have my photo taken in front of the pizza roof. I'm sorry, pizza roof house people. Um, Just as long as you have the same expression on your faces when we went to go and see the big, um, the big oh, koala, koala, yeah. <laughs> 
on the way to Adelaide six years ago. Can you believe it? I think we need another road trip somewhere. <laughs> another road trip somewhere. Maybe um, Canberra. Somewhere equally lame. <laughs> Canberra. There you go. <laughs> equally lame. Canberra. Um, <laughs> it's about six hours away. So there you go. Yes, maybe we'll do it. We'll if go to you the are from Canberra, if you know someone from Canberra, <laughs> someone from Canberra once, is there a particular type of food one would mm. buy in Canberra? Because we the trip to Adelaide was six years ago for those who are not long-time listeners. We drove to Adelaide for one reason, one reason alone, and that was for a pie floater. Yes. Um, that is, <laughs> is a meat pie in pea soup, generally speaking, in a bowl of pea soup. Though. That was quite difficult to find in Adelaide. We had to settle for one that was a little bit different. It was a pie floater, and it was delicious, if you remember. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we just we drove there for a pie. <laughs> um, <laughs> we turned around and we... Um, uh, but uh, Sarah agree. agrees. Was, that's a very good reason. It was a fine reason. I, I agree. It was um, it was a good trip. Um, and we recorded a podcast in Adelaide, uh, where yep. I got uh, Dragon Ball and Pokemon confused yet again. Um, <laughs> um, um because that's what I do. <laughs> but <laughs> um, so if you know anybody from Canberra, if there's a particular food item or mm-hmm. restaurant or Something you'd recommend and go, ah, that's Super Canberra. Yep. Let us know. And, and that, maybe we that can... is quintessential Canberra experience. We want to hear about it. Oh, well, you know, they that you guys, you know, like I don't know, whatever it is they serve in Canberra. <laughs> um, Crab <I'm>... juice? <laughs> I don't know. It's Canberra, right? They're a bit weird. They're a strange bunch, you know. Porn and fireworks are legal and the roads go in circles, you know. They're, they're very strange people. Um it could be deep fried porn. I don't know. I don't know what they eat there, and I don't care to know, frankly. Um, but you know, I, I, I if someone can suggest it, someone can suggest that we can see about scheduling our mm-hmm. six yearly secular armchair mm-hmm. producer road trip. But I'll, mm-hmm. I've waffled on about. I'm only four episodes into the last season. Um, mm-hmm. There's a bit of a way to go. Um, how many episodes we're we getting? We are getting thirteen episodes. So we have another nine to go this season. Um, if you're if you if you're still on the fence about it, I don't know how you could be because the the hype behind this is hype trains, you know, been going for a number of years. Is now it's as good as Breaking Bad. Breaking Bad, you will like. Get better call Saul. Mm. It's as simple as that, and it's it's Marvel. Okay, absolutely. Cool. I say I called it. I think it might still be the best show on television of any flavor. Period. There we go. I mean, a current high, TV show. Like... High praise right there. I'm going to finish off the show just with an experience. An experience that I had just a couple of days ago. And it was cooperative two-player, care of Xbox Game Pass, and A Way Out. Which is on this. It is a new game. No, it came out 2018. And um, if you remember, around that time, there was a bit of a slew of games where it was you cannot play it unless you have a second person. And this one is two players, either local or via online. And it's directed, it got a bit of notoriety because of the director, Joseph Farris. 
he was at the Game Awards and he very, very enthusiastically just said, fuck the Oscars when he got his award for best original um, narrative story in a video game or something like that. And this is an interesting game that I do recommend people experience a little bit because it's a fairly rare and unusual thing. Like I was saying, there was a bit of a slew of this type of game. Like there was this, there was um, Wolfenstein Youngbloods, which was that two-player co-op game where if you bought a copy, you could kind of gift a second copy to someone to play at the same time so that you could do I'm it I'm not surprised play. they were giving that game away, considering how bad it was. Yeah, it was not a great game. Um, and Joseph Harris recently um, released another game that has been getting a little bit of um, headlines. It's um, I'm trying to get it here. It's called It Takes Two. Which is another well, that was highly, highly acclaimed on Game of the Year, I think. Uh, it at least nominated, yeah. I don't know if it actually won, but no, it definitely, I believe it did. There we go. It's now being it's now being turned into a film. Oh, yeah, I heard that actually, yeah. Um, but um, A Way Out is um, a prison break movie, uh, game, and prison inmates Vincent and Leo. Um, initially clash, but after Vincent helps Leo win a fight, they warm up to each other and decide to escape together. Um, Leo is a gangster raised in an orphanage and a life of crime with a wife and son who finished six, uh, who finished six months of his eight-year sentence. Vincent is um, a new arrival and ex-banker with a pregnant wife, but his hunger for money brought him in a life of organized crime, and because of that, he's serving 14 years for murder and fraud. Leo plans to escape, get revenge on his boss, Harvey, for setting him up, and Vincent wants to help. But Leo wants to do this on his own. Vincent reveals that he also wants to get revenge on the murder of the, for the murder of his brother. They form an alliance and work together to get out of prison and kill Harvey once and for all. This is an interesting game, and I was playing this with my good friend, Eric, who... <laughs> we were he he's a shit frankly he was playing um leo and i was playing vincent and there was as the the blurb said there's the fight that my character got into and everything plays at the same time the, the split screen you see your side and their side while i was having my ass handed to me he was seeing if he could do pull-ups and it was literally just him just hanging there pushing x and just over his right shoulder he could see me having my ass handed to me and so i'm talking to him, it's like come and save me you fucker it's like one more it was stupid the it's it's like an interactive movie which is an interesting experience and there's a, there's a sequence in the we're still in early game. Apparently, it takes about six to eight hours to finish the game. We played for I think an hour and a half or so, and you have to steal something and leave it. And one of you will run distraction while the other one goes and steals something and sneaks back and that sort of stuff. And there's a lot of 
fuck, this is really stupid. Like push X and then rotate the analog stick round and round and round to undo screws so that you can move the toilet seat to escape and things like that. While the other person plays lookout and like says, oh, watch it, put it back and things like that, which are cheesy, but okay. There's other bits that are just downright stupid. You have to scale this ventilation shaft. And it's like, oh, I said to Eric, oh, God, are we going to do the back-to-back thing? And then on cue, so like, yeah, let's lock hands and do back-to-back. And you have to kind of do everything in synchronization, otherwise you fall. And so it's really tempting to, the higher you get up, you see the top, and it's like, I'm going to purposely drop us. And you just hear, oh, ah! And it's just comically bad. (laughs) Um, But then there are bits that actually work really, really well. And we did notice after we actually escaped the prison and we were kind of sneaking through bushes, taking out guards, we were actually starting to just organically coordinate. So there's merit to this narrative story, but I just don't think that this story gets there this is kind of a proof of concept i guess and i'm now curious to say to play it takes two because he now uh, joseph farris now knows or at least seems to know how to utilize that mechanism and that mechanic to get to elicit the right activity and especially in something where apparently it's a story about separating parents and things where there's a lot of emotional investment it's it just made me very curious and i just wanted to share my early thoughts on this i remember people watching people play it on twitch Mm. and i remember them liking the co-op but a lot of the gameplay was a bit tedious Mm. Mm. it's Uh, not me but i love me saying it's just what i recall people complaining about or watching him do it but i guess this director's trying to do in it Nobody makes games like this. This was a this was its own genre once upon a time. Like I, mm-hmm. I, I assume you're playing this remotely in other places, mm-hmm. but I don't know yeah. if it's a couch co-op. Um, yes, part of you it can, or not. You can do couch co-op as well. But nobody makes games like that anymore. Not like really. It's all you need to be played anonymously, killing people on you know a battle royale server mm-hmm. or something. Yeah. Um, you know, yes, you can Overwatch or you could play with friends while you're playing. Call of Duty or Battlefield or whatever, but just a mm. game you actually literally be, which you work together. The only one I can think of recently is Cuphead, um, which was yeah. just ridiculously hard. <laughs> yeah. I love the aesthetic. It was basically unplayably hard for me. Uh, <laughs> I'm not good at games. Like That's that. what I tell everyone. And I stand by that fact. Unless No, it's I don't have time to get good. Don't have time to get good, so you know. Um, like I just actually, I, I only switch my Xbox on, on once in once in a blue moon these days. So mm. I just don't have time for it really, mm. and there's been no real like that game's coming out that you really want to play. Um, and the worst part about it is you switch it on for the first time in two and a half months, and it goes before you do anything. I need to download a fucking five gig update for every mm. single game you own. See you later yeah. in a couple of days. <laughs> I just wanted yeah. to stick. I heard there was an update for No Man's Sky, and I wanted to stick ten minutes in and have a look at that. But mm. no, yeah, thirteen gigabyte update, huge, huge update, huge. It's gonna be huge. 
Um, yeah, I just wanted to. Anyway, so I'm, I'm enjoy- I mean, maybe uh, if you want to give a game like it takes two a go, be really good things about mm. it. Mm. Yeah, well, if it comes to Game Pass, I'll keep an eye and uh, we can play it together. Yes. I think it's on Game Pass, is it not? Or not? Maybe it isn't. I thought it was, but I'll double check. I don't know. Uh, maybe I, it's on it... EA Play or something. Yeah. Um, okay. Uh, it takes two. Boom. You might need the ultimate subscription, which I'm not paying for because I just don't I have mine. I just don't. You, I don't play enough games these days. It's kind of part of your job to play games, really. Yeah, uh, I'm. I'm curious whether I'm going to be able to actually kind of do that as a tax write-off. <laughs> I think you should be able to. Yeah, and you all of my pop finals so, I mean, and, and figures. <laughs> uh, I don't know about pop finals, but like I know when I worked very briefly in the games in in the games industry for about two weeks. <laughs> Um, like I, I bought a bed top. All the guys who worked there told me that they claimed the axe. Mm-hmm. So like, oh, they're essential for for my gaming. No, it's like I, I I make video games, so I need to know what's current in the industry. Yeah, I need I, I I need to look at them out of the box, honest, and just say whether they're worthwhile. Mm-hmm. No, I, I was it was it was um taken well advantage of in that in that industry. Let me tell you. <laughs> All right, well, we'll, I'll take a look at it, and if if it is on there, I will have a look tonight, and I'll let you know. For sure. Yeah. Anything else you wanted to talk about this week? I think we should wrap it up. It's it's gone two hours, and I didn't expect it to, probably because of our 20-minute Netflix rant. Uh, Apologies (laughs) to listeners and viewers everywhere for that one. Mm -hmm. Just sometimes these things happen. They just slip out. You just have to talk about them sometimes. Um, Thank you so much. Mm. So I'm going to say next, next week we're going to be talking about the 2005 Fantastic Four movie, which George is obviously looking forward to with that face. And I will be seeing Doctor Strange on Monday night. We'll be able to have a strange cast next week. Strange, a strange spoiler cast. Yes. Um, I am, uh, by next week, I will have watched the unbearable weight of um, a massive talent. So I'm looking forward to that. I think that's going to be great. Oh, looking forward um, to your... Yeah. But thank you so much, ladies and gentlemen, for joining us this week. Thank you, Siren Divine. Thank you for Sarah Michelle for both popping in on the chat there. Really do appreciate it. Don't forget to like, share, and subscribe our channel, twitch.tv slash thefrybrain, youtube.com slash producers, facebook.com slash producers, facebook.com slash Productions. At George, uh, at the Fry Brain on Twitter, at Evil Trav on Twitter. Um, I think that's everything. I think that's all the socials. That'll do for the socials. And as always, if you mm-hmm. and you think oh, I'd love to hear those guys talk about a thing, remember mm-hmm. we do request if you have a good reason, yep. just talk to yep. Siren Divine. Yeah, she, she made us do the thing the other week, so that's don't mm-hmm. forget about that. Yeah, it's the name of the movie and the reason why doesn't have to be because it's amazing. It can be because it's trash. Good reason. A good reason is all you need. Until next week, thank you very much. Good night.